Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. The FT. Welcome to World Weekly with me, Ben Hall. On the show this week, we will be discussing the crisis in eastern Ukraine, where there has been an upsurge in fighting in recent weeks between pro-Russian separatist rebels and Ukrainian government forces. The new rebel offensive, ostensibly backed with heavy weaponry and men supplied by Russia, although Moscow denies it, has shown how little diplomatic leverage the West now appears to have with the Kremlin, despite a bevy of financial sanctions and an economic slump in Russia aggravated by the slide in oil prices. As a Financial Times special investigation has shown this week, Western hopes for a ceasefire last autumn quickly unravelled as President Vladimir Putin refused to relent. Now there is an increasingly lively debate as to whether the West should provide Kiev with arms, starting with defensive weaponry to face down the secessionist onslaught. Joining me to discuss the crisis is Jeff Dyer, our US diplomatic correspondent, Stefan Wagstall, our Berlin bureau chief, and here in the studio, Neil Buckley, our East Europe editor. Neil, can I start with you? Can you give us your assessment of how things are playing out in the ground and what you think the Russian objectives are? Well, things are deteriorating very fast on the ground. The fighting in the last two or three weeks has got back towards the levels that we were seeing in August last year. Some diplomatic sources are even saying at the level that it was back in August. So whether the ceasefire signed in Minsk in September has completely broken down is a bit of a moot point. But certainly there are clashes at many points along the line dividing the rebels and the Ukrainian army particularly at a place called Debaltseva, where there's a, almost a siege situation. There's uh, a lot of anecdotal evidence that there are more Russian soldiers and arms in the region now than there were even last August. The rebels have announced a draft, an attempt to, to mobilise an army of 100,000 soldiers. Whether they will be able to do anything like that, we don't know. The danger, though, is that that is a cover for bringing in more Russian troops or utilising the Russian troops who are on the ground. It could also, though, be a response to the debate that you mentioned in the West about sending arms to Ukraine and designed to be a signal that if that happens, then there could be a a serious escalation and retaliation from the Russian and, and Russian proxies. Jeff, the White House appears to be ready to sort of reconsider sending arms to Kiev. Are they serious? Definitely the debate is is moving quite quickly in that direction in Washington. And the latest and strongest sign of that is on Wednesday morning, the new nominee to be the new Secretary of Defense, Ashton Carter, had his confirmation hearing. And he very clearly said that that he was in favor of sending heavy weapons to Ukraine. There has been a lot of pressure from people within the State Department, people from the Pentagon for a number of months in that direction. But this is the most public and clearest signal from a senior member of the administration or about to be a senior member that they do want to do this. The one caveat is that ultimately this will be President Obama's decision, and he has been on the Ukraine issue and a whole series of other issues very, very cautious 
about this kind of intervention about getting sucked into these types of conflicts. And ultimately, it will be his decision. And there are very powerful reasons to why the U.S. might not want to as well. I mean, Neil just outlined what many people say is the failure of Western strategy to restrain Russia and restrain Russian intervention. But the reasons for, for not getting involved would include things like you know, who are you actually giving the weapons to? Is it going to the Ukrainian military or is it going to militias? And if it goes to militias, can you control them? Are you going to need to send trainers into eastern Ukraine to help them use the weapons? And if so, what would that mean? And then ultimately, the biggest fear would be, well, what happens if the U.S. sends weapons into eastern Ukraine and then Putin just responds by escalating even further? You could actually encourage him to do that by taking the step. And then you're much closer into a proxy war, much closer into a very direct confrontation between Russia and the U.S. So it's it's definitely moving in the direction of sending weapons, but it's not a settled question just yet. Stefan, Angela Merkel has been the sort of lead negotiator, if you like, with uh, President Vladimir Putin. She's come out against arming Ukraine. So what other cards has she got up her sleeve? Not many. Not many. There is the possibility of increasing economic sanctions, which would be more of a political move than an economic one, because her advisers feel that the sanctions which have been put in place so far have combined with the drastic fall in the oil price had much more effect than anybody expected. So there isn't much more need in economic terms, but it's the political impact that they might have. However, with every passing month, it gets a bit more difficult to hold together the EU consensus. That's important in itself, but it's also a significant part of Merkel's influence and power, both within the Union and uh, with regards to the Americans and, of course, President Putin. Nonetheless, it seems sort of extraordinary that Western capitals are openly discussing arming Kiev and yet not necessarily willing to go much further on financial and economic sanctions. There's a lot more damage the West could do economically to Russia, isn't there, Neil? There is certainly more economic damage that could be done, although we have a new dynamic within the EU, which, of course, is the Syriza-led government in Athens, whose willingness to back those kind of extra sanctions is really in question. So it may no longer be a viable route for the EU to follow. My impression is in terms of arming Ukraine, the issue is, is a much more live debate in Washington than it is in many European capitals, except in places like Poland and the Baltic Republics, which have been very strong on this issue from the start, on the need for the West generally to show a very robust response. But there's certainly a danger that this debate could undermine the fragile unity, but the unity that has been built so far between the US and the EU on this quite hard one, uh, with the EU and US moving in lockstep on sanctions uh, and the EU gradually strengthening theirs to pretty much the same level as the as the US. If we see Washington pressing ahead with military assistance and people like Angela Merkel opposing it, then that takes us really into new territory in terms of how the Western unity, Western coalition, if you like, will stick together. Stefan, is there anything that the Germans are thinking that doing that, that would resemble a sort of carrot that they might dangle in front of the Russian president at this stage? The carrots tend to be rather vague and long term. For example, the Germans are willing 
to have the uh, European Commission discuss future economic cooperation between the European Union and Russia's Eurasian Economic Union. But these things are a long way off, and everybody involved says always yes, but, and the but is that none of this will go ahead unless there's peace on the ground, and indeed more than just a ceasefire, some sort of lasting agreement in Ukraine. You couldn't imagine a wide-ranging economic agreement in any other way. So what this amounts to is keeping the door open and showing President Putin that there is an alternative, even though it seems fairly remote today, I'm afraid. And Neil, I mean, do we have a sense of what Vladimir Putin actually wants? The Russians have given some indications. They certainly are interested in discussing cooperation, trade cooperation between the EU and uh, the Eurasian Economic Union. As Stefan said, it's something that we hear from Russian officials they want to do. They uh, endorse this idea of Ukraine as a, as a bridge between these two economic blocks, although with the military situation on the ground, that uh, looks a bit unrealistic at the moment. They uh, also have made clear that they want to renegotiate the security architecture in Europe. But it's been very difficult to get Russia to give any indications of what it really wants to see and uh, in what kind of format any sort of talks on that might take place. Jeff, lastly, do you think the Americans will uh, allow a sort of rift to open up with the Europeans here? Uh, Is Obama facing sort of irresistible political pressure to get much tougher? Well, that's one of the other things he's very much trying to balance at the moment. Angela Merkel is coming to Washington next week, where where this will will very much be on the agenda. I mean, he has made it absolutely his top priority in dealing with the Ukraine crisis of trying to be in in lockstep with Western Europe, especially with the Germans. And so he won't want to do too much to get out too far ahead of them. However, he is looking at a situation where it does seem like everything he's done so far hasn't worked. He's under a huge amount of pressure at home. And then he's also looking at the Europeans and thinking, well, maybe... Their internal unity is starting to collapse because of economic pressures, because of the situation in Greece. And so maybe it won't be possible to move further forward with the Europeans. Maybe it is the time for the U.S. to strike out on its own and to do more unilateral things. But that's very much another part of his calculation as they go through this new review about whether to send weapons to Ukraine is, is whether that will actually cause a big rift, a big rupture in relations with Germany and other Western European countries. Okay, that's it for this week. My thanks to Stefan Wagstall, Neil Buckley and Jeff Dyer. World Weekly is produced by Fiona Simon. Until next week, goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Support comes from ServiceNow the AI platform for business transformation. You've heard the hype around AI. The truth is, AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. ServiceNow is the platform that puts AI to work for people across your business, removing friction and frustration for your employees, supercharging productivity for your developers, providing intelligent tools for your service agents to make customers happier. All built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Visit servicenow.com slash AI for people to learn more.